Shop with the uh, little series that we've been doing over the last three weeks, uh, talking about money matters, and uh, just finished that one off today, and I want to talk to you about something I think is very encouraging and very uh, uh, important for us to talk about. Um, uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned how... Uh, uh, the prices of uh, lettuce uh, was quite dear. Remember, twelve dollars. Uh, I don't know if you bought. Probably not many people have bought at that price. I was just so blessed because at that appropriate time, some weeks earlier, we'd planted little seedlings of lettuce, and and uh, at the right time when the lettuce was so dear, we didn't have to buy it at that price because I had lettuce in my little veggie patch, and I was able to be, uh, support, uh, give away some lettuce and other people, and maybe my family and. And, you know, I was just considerate of that. And the story of the lettuce goes on because last week I was coming, um, I was coming through Big Rooster. I just drive through, just want to grab a quick lunch. And, you know, you go to the speaker to speak into the speaker before you go and pick up your, uh, your uh, uh, goods. And it had a little sign at Big Rooster there. Red Rooster, is it? Sorry. Not big. What's Big Rooster? <laughs> Don't know. Red Rooster. Uh, anyway, is it Red Rooster? Yes. Okay, Red Rooster. No wonder you're looking at me so confused. Um, Red Rooster, and it had a sign anyway, and it says, Apologies, but we have no lettuce for our, uh, our chicken wraps. And I thought, oh, the lettuce has obviously run out. But I, I noticed this week there's lettuce back on the shelf. So it's all because uh, earlier in the year there was some flooding rains that destroyed some of the lettuce crop in New South Wales in, uh, in southern Queensland. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? So, anyway, I look at this sign, I'm thinking, oh, that's no problem for me, because I'm going to bring my own lettuce, <laughs> and I'll just, before I go and buy my wrap, and I'll just stick it in the wrap myself, and I'll be right. And I'm, I, I'm so amazed, truly, so amazed sometimes, how just the timing of it all, I've got my own lettuce, and yet lettuce are being up and down, no supply, in supply, pricey, all the rest of it. And isn't it amazing, every day, uh, we have to weigh up these things, because the truth is, we have to consider uh, money is a part of our life. Every day, isn't it? It affects us. I'm, I'm, my lettuce story is just a little, little thing, but reality, it can happen on a bigger scale. Uh, economies go up and down. Uh, your superannuation can lose thousands of dollars within a day. Uh, it can go up and down. Uh, don't panic. Um, I'm glad my father still owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's bigger than my super fund. I'm glad that God's economy system is not tacked in or not, um, it doesn't run the course of how the world goes. Um, because uh, he is Jehovah, the Lord who what provides. So, uh, so anyway, as I, as we look at the realities of of rising prices, uh, climate change—I'm not climate change, but weather patterns that happen and wipe out crops and things like that. Lack of produce affects our everyday life and how we use our money. Jesus, of course, himself in his parables spoke. Two thirds of his parables are talking about either um, your material wealth or your finance. Um, so he speaks a lot about it. The Bible speaks a lot about finance, a lot of stuff on finance. And um, So money, pl- please understand me today, my heart is, is not to highlight the lack of it or anything. It's just to highlight what, how, how we need to manage it and how we need to deal with it properly because God has a way that we should do that. A couple of weeks ago, uh, several weeks ago, I talked about how money speaks to us. Um, and what money says to us, it whispers in our ear, and sometimes it'll whisper, number one thing it whispers is, is this, if I only had a little bit more, um, the truth is, how much is, how much is enough? How much is more? <laughs> it's amazing how you get the more, and then you want more. 
The second thing sometimes money will say to us is um, uh, that your self-worth is connected to your net worth, and that's not true. Who you are is not connected to what you have. And if it is, you've got to wean yourself off that. Because it's not about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about realizing if you have it, praise God for it, but it's not who that, that's not who you are. Necessarily. That doesn't make you the person, or you don't need to let that make you the person who you are. Um, your wealth, your net worth is not connected to your self-worth. And the, the third thing I spoke about back then was money says to us, if I'd be happy if I had that, whatever that may be. I don't know. You know, uh, whatever that may be. There was a guy in the Old Testament, King Solomon. He, he was literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars equivalent to what he, what he had then was to today. And yet he said, wanting more and more and saying, I'll, I'll be happy if I get that is like chasing after the wind, he said, uh, in the Bible. And it's true, isn't it? It's like, it's like chasing after the wind. So money speaks to us, but today... I want us to not just uh, to, to realize not only does money speak to us, but our money also speaks to God about us. And how we give of it, how we give of our finances, how we use our possessions speaks a lot uh, to God about us. And so I want to turn to uh, four verses, Mark, Mark, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And this is a story with two main characters, Jesus and a very poor widow lady. And it says in Mark 12, 41, let me read it. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. He's in the temple in Jerusalem. And in, t- in the temple in Jerusalem, it, there was 13 boxes around the inside of the building in a particular part of that temple where you would give an offering. It would depend that each of the boxes represented different needs. And so you can give an offering there. And so Jesus is sitting there uh, watching people put the offering into one of these boxes or maybe more than one box. So Jesus sat opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw uh, in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciple to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I'll uh, end the story there. Some context to this. The widow is called the widow because she's lost her husband, obviously. But culturally, any woman who was married couldn't earn a wage herself. She was dependent upon her husband's wage. And so if ladies lost their husbands, um, of course, they then um, had no financial stream into their lives. And they had to maybe beg or have some other family members try to provide for them. And so this lady is a widow because, and she's poor. So obviously she hasn't got a great financial income. Um, The interesting thing is, is that the early, remember the early church, it mentions very clearly in the New Testament and Acts how the early church was recommended to them to look after the widows. And that was the reason, because they had no financial um, opportunity to have money themselves. So... This is her situation. The truth is, she was in a difficult situation, not necessarily of her own doing, but we see here uh, the lack of money didn't make her bitter or selfish, and it didn't even give her that victim mentality saying, I'm hard done by. You know, she didn't have that. And the reason I say that she didn't have that attitude is because the way Jesus shared about her, because it says she gave what she had, 
she only had a few cents, you know, and it wasn't much, but she willingly gave it. That's a, that's a pretty generous lady. And she wasn't wealthy. The, the few cents she wasn't was pretty small. Wealthy people would have called it very small amount. Uh, the business sector would have said that you can't buy anything but that. And even religious custom reckoned it was pretty small. But relation, in relation to her attitude and in the opinion of Jesus, the gift was incredibly great. And yet it was so small. If we um, were to look at Jesus in this story, Mark writes that he was standing by the offering box looking at people as they gave. Um, there are some things you don't want to do in church. That's one of them. Thank you, Steve. I've done some things in church you don't want to do. Um, sincere mistakes, but you know, say the wrong words. I was just talking, I must admit, I was just reminded this morning, again, I was, I, um, I was in church and, um, and uh, we were actually doing a wedding and um, I'm sure Greg and Cora aren't here now, so we can mention this one, but they'll tell you about it. But I just had completed three funerals. It was early in the year. Uh, the, the, the last, the third funeral was a little six-month-old child. And so they kind of bang, bang, bang. And I was now doing a wedding. And so I get up and the first thing I say is, welcome. This is, this is their wedding, Greg and Corey's wedding. I said, welcome to this funeral. <laughs> never picked up on it. Never thought I'd said it. It was only afterwards a, a friend of mine came to me and said, did you realize you said funeral? And so I made up a story. Oh, well, you know, die to self, getting married. Yeah, it fits. You never call a wedding a funeral. That's something you shouldn't do in church. Uh, I remember I went to a church once and I sat down in a church, not this church, another church, and I sat down waiting for the service. And as I sat there, a gentleman walked up to me and said, would you please hop out of my seat? I went, oh, is this seat something? I didn't think to say this, but I'm thinking, oh, maybe this seat is particularly for him because he's got some ailment. And, and I realized he was healthy and, and I thought, oh, far out. And there's plenty of other seats. Ultimately, after what seemed like eternity, I'd kind of worked it out in my brain. You don't need a little disagreement before church. Just hop out of the seat and let him have it. So I hopped out and hopped in another seat. And I was just thinking, what, what would that be like if I walked into church and I said to someone, out of my seat. I just want you to know, this seat where I sit and Pastor Malcolm sits, you can come and sit there. It's okay. I just think that, that you never do that to ch in church. Would you do that in church? Because I hope we haven't got seats that we particularly think, well, that's mine. Now, I know we all sit in similar areas. It's fine. You can sit there all the time. But if someone's sitting... So there's some things you don't want to do in church. Have you got that? <laughs> Jesus is doing one of the things you shouldn't do in church because he's standing near the offering box. Just imagine if Jesus was standing there this morning. I mean, I mean if he was standing, that'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? <laughs> but but if, if, if I said, Pastor Mal, just go back to the offering box after church. I just want you to write down what everybody's writing, putting into the box. Just note what the FPOS machine says. You know, we'll send an email and say, you could double that. <laughs> it's not what you do in church, is it? This is something Jesus is, and I'm trying to work out as I read this, why is Jesus doing that? Why is he, because he's looking at what people are giving. He's looking at the amount they are giving. It's just like this unsaid thing in Aussie culture. You don't ask how much you give in offerings. You know, just let, because it's secret, you know, and all that type of stuff. And you shouldn't do that. But Jesus is doing that. And then I thought about it. You know what? God knows every Sunday what I give. <laughs> he knows it anyway. So why wouldn't his son be willing? I mean, he's God. He can do that. I mean, I'm not, so I'm not going to do it. Um, 
so how we use our money. So Jesus is standing there watching people give their money, watching how much they give. And, you know, so how we use our money says something very clearly to God because that day a rich pe- people gave and, and, and um, Jesus didn't condemn the rich people, but he just said the poor widow gave more than the rich people, which literally didn't happen tangibly didn't happen and yet her heart attitude she gave out of her poverty and they gave it out of their riches and both of them are doing okay there's nothing wrong with either of those groups of people it's just that jesus said her her giving was bigger her, her giving was more sacrificial than the people who gave out of their wealth and and so jesus was watching people giving why would he not be watching what we do today it says something to god when we give our tithes and offerings it speaks to him and i thought that i would share three things that offerings tell our offerings tell god what when i give an offering or a tithe what it tells god and what i've learned that it tells me it tells god about me so it's just me this morning you know just relax it's just about what god speaks to me about but my offering number one tells god my life belongs to you god when i give an offering my life belongs to you god in an earlier verse of this chapter 12 of Mark, before this widow story unfolded, there was an, a discussion happening between the disciples and Jesus about what the greatest commandment or what the greatest commandment in the Bible was or the greatest thing we could do. Um, and if, so the disciples are really saying, if you could reduce the Christian faith to one thing, what would it be, Jesus? And Jesus then says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. Do you remember that? It happened in this chapter of Mark, chapter 12, in verse, about 10 verses early in verse 30. Now, I started to think about, well, what does that really mean? What does that look like, to love God uh, like that? How do we love God with our heart? Does that mean we commit to having a certain set of emotions or thoughts about God? Um, how do we love God with our mind? Is that loving Jesus by obeying a certain set of truths that he spoke about and and how do you love God with our strength? Do we love God with our strength by volunteering our energy, by carrying out ministry-related causes? And, and, and I was just trying to put it in words and think about all that. And I thought then, ultimately, I said, you know what? All, uh, all of those things I've just said is yes. All of that would be right. But the reality is, is giving an offering is one of the most tangible ways that I, I believe that we demonstrate that we love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In a very real, real way, when we give an offering, we're actually parting because this is how I think about it. We're actually parting with our lives because a third of us, a th- sorry, a third of our, our waking hours or a third of our daily, you know, eight, eight, nine hours a day, five days a week, usually around that, we work for a living and we gain an income. And in exchange for that income, we give our energy, we our strength, we give our mental um, energy, uh, our mind, our thinking, we give our time uh, to gain a wage. And, and in exchange for that, that giving of ourselves to that job, and some of us, I know some of you work, you work very passionately, you're very uh, happy to go to work, and you work with all your strength, mind, heart, and soul. You give, your, you give it the full um, uh, your ability, and you do the very best you can. And you come away in exchange for that, they pay you into your bank account every week an income, a salary, which is great. Um, and I know that sometimes we don't necessarily work to get money, but we work and we're glad that we, but we're glad that we do. So money that we earn is given in exchange for our investment of time, 
our labour and our energy. So what we do is we sell our time, our intellectual ability, our mind and our strength in exchange for that money. Our money becomes a tangible representation of the best of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Can you see then how it follows that, it, that it's difficult to say to the Lord, I give you my life, but never yield our finance over to the Lord. And what Jesus said about the poor widow, he, he said she put in everything, all that she had to live on. She put in all. The widow is either disillusional or foolish for giving all that she had. Or, may I suggest, she just had an incredible love for Jesus Christ and just wanted to tangibly represent that love by the giving of her all and an offering. I think it's the second one. I think it's the second one. There was a lady a couple chapters after that is another lady who gave her all. She came into a room where Jesus and the disciples and Simon, who was a leper, had been, and they're reclining. They weren't sitting at tables. They were reclining at a table, and they're talking, having food, and she comes in with this alabaster jar. It's got expensive perfume. It was so expensive, literally the Bible says in Mark 14, that it could have been sold and would have been worth a year's wage. That's a fair bit of money. You think about a year's wage in one beautiful bottle of expensive perfume. And so she breaks that, it was obviously hers. She broke the jar and she poured it on Jesus' head. Must have broke some seal or something. And, and some of the disciples got really, really indignant and said, how wasteful is that? Because that money could have been used. Uh, we could have sold that and been given it to the poor. Now, there's nothing wrong with the disciples' suggestion. It's just that Jesus says, hey, just wait a second. The poor you'll have with you always. Me, you'll not have. What she's done is a good thing. You won't have me always with you. She's anointed me, talking about his death and burial and resurrection. He's, she's anointed me with burial beforehand. So obviously, we have two women. One is very poor and gave her all, and yet one was reasonably had some money because uh, had an alabaster jar. Because you've got to understand, culturally, women weren't allowed to earn a wage, so the only way they could have investments is through perfumes and jewelry and things like that. And this is what this lady gave. She, it was probably her nest egg for her future, and yet she gave that. So my point would be this, um, in all of this, um, it wasn't the amount they gave, the one that gave little and yet all, and the one who gave much and yet all, it's not the amount, it's the heart of the worship in the sense that I just, I'm, I just, I'll give all, not just part of me, but I'll give my all, and it's represented, I want to give all to you, Lord, it's represented in my tangible gift and offering to you, Lord Jesus. And so I just see that continually through um, in the Bible that our knowing who, who owns us and who we belong to and giving of our all is represented sometimes and reflected in that offering. Because, you know, sometimes uh, the very thing that can be very close to our heart can be our possessions and finance. And, you know, the truth is where your treasure is, your heart is also. And I want my treasure not to be on the treasure of the things of this earth, but on the treasures that are eternal and, and kingdom-minded. And in making sure that my earthly treasure serves my heavenly treasures, in, so to speak. And not the other way around. So I want us to see an offering today is not a rule for which we become Christians or are saved. That's not the case. An offering is a recognition of life's most basic reality. When I bring the offering to God, it's an outward sign of an inner commitment. It's a material surrender which is prompted by spiritual surrender that my life belongs to God.
Every time I give an offering to God, I'm making a statement to God. My heart, my mind, my soul, my strength belongs to you. Here is an outward material expression of an inner spiritual commitment. An offering says something to God. My offering says something else. Number two, something to God. My offering says to God, I trust you. Because Jesus says um, about this woman, he says, the rich all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. When you give and it's all you have to give to have the attitude I am, you'd have to have. You'd think this lady, if she gave it all, her two cents wasn't much compared to what the world thought it was, but it was much compared to what she had. You'd have to think that she was saying, um, you know, the truth is, um, I trust you, God, for my future. I trust you for my future. I'm giving my all, but I'm trusting you to be my Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides for my future. And when we give, it says to God that we're trusting Him. Um, especially if it's a bit more than we, than we uh, expected to give or thought we should give. Every, every um, year at this time as a church, we have our first fruits. I mentioned it before. We have a first fruits offering. And um, we just do it every year. It's a free will offering. It's not compulsory or anything. It's just a free will offering. You can participate in it. We, we encourage you to because we think it's a great opportunity uh, to give. But um, a first fruits offering, if you were to look at it in the Bible sense, it's the Jewish people would bring, um, they'd have their harvest, they'd plant their seed. The first fruit of the harvest would ripen and they'd take that first fruit. It might be just, a, it might be just a, a, a 2% of the crop. They take it and they bring it into the temple and present it to God. And they give it to God. And then it's used uh, for, for the purpose of all, for good. But they bring the very first ripe part, the first fruit. That's what first fruits mean. The very first part of the crop, whether it was pomegranates or dates or olives or harvest of wheat. And what they were saying to God, as you'll see, they were saying, if I bring my first fruit, God, we're believing that you're actually going to provide the rest of the harvest so that we can then um, literally provide for us for the rest of the year so i'll give two percent of my harvest at the start or whatever it was maybe it was ten percent be equal with the tithe whatever it was and then they say god for the rest of the year we're believing that you're going to look after us with the rest of the harvest and and so that's the way the jewish people worked trusting god you know if the rest of the harvest failed they were they were kind of like in desperate situation but they believed God that would not happen and God would look after them. That's a trust, isn't it? That's a real trust. And so the Jewish people would do that. They called it the first fruits offering. Ezekiel 23, 19 says, The first of the first fruits, um, a verse that we have up there of the Lord, sorry, the first of the first fruits of your land, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. That's what Jewish... Do you know the, the apparently the richest people group in the world are Jewish people. There's more millionaires amongst the Jewish people than any other race on the face of the earth. No wonder the world's trying to kill them all the time, <laughs> trying to get their money. But um, I think it's because they, they learned a principle from ancient times <laughs> to be generous. Um, there's another verse, Proverbs 3, 7 to 12. It says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Brilliant. Um, I like that. So we see the first fruits set a standard for the rest of the year. And so giving a part of my first fruits, I'm trusting um, 
God that it'll be my provision for the rest of the year. And I've done this year after year. And some of you, many of you have done it year after year. And at this time of year, when I give of first fruits, I start to think about what I'll give. And, and because the suggestion has always been give a full wage, a week's wage. And, and then for the next 51 weeks of the year, believing God will be provision for you. It's not that you don't continue the tithe, but just trusting Him. And I come to this moment and I start to think about, well, how much should I give this year? Uh, and you say, well, don't you just give the same amount? Well, you know, I've got a little thing in my heart that just says, well, just try and up it every year a little bit. And you know, I hear this voice that says, uh, if you give that amount, you know, how, how's, how, that's money for your future. How are you, how you going to cope with your future? And that's where the, and, and then I hear this other little voice, you know, trust me, you know, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, far out. And it becomes this wrestle, internal wrestle with how much I should give. And, and fear wants to, when I look at the amount, fear grips me. But when I look at the character of God, and the character of God is faithfulness, and He's a provider for me. And when I look at His character, fear shrinks into the background and I'm able to give. But if I continually am swamped by the fear of how much I give, I can get very concerned. And do you know what I'm saying? And so, it's a trust walk, isn't it? How are you going to provide for me? God, if I give that amount, how are you going to provide for me? You know, because I know my income, I'm thankful for my income, but I know that's a certain amount. Where the, where's the rest going to come? It's over and above my income. And I want to tell you, it's amazing how God can provide for you. It'll come from left field, from whatever direction. It'll come. You know, it's like, it's like planting lettuce in the right season when lettuce prices go up and there's a short supply. God provides. And I know that's such a little, <laughs> that's such a little example, but it's a real one. You know what? I didn't have to pay 12 bucks for my lettuce. It was free. And I actually provided for other people. That was good. And if you want your wrap with lettuce, come and see me. If you get nothing, remember nothing else. That's what you need to remember <laughs> of this sermon. Fear tries to squeeze you into an element of distrust about God. I want to tell you, He can trust Him. <laughs> and when we give of our tithes and offerings, what it's saying to God is that we trust Him. Here's the third thing. We'll finish with this. Our offering tells God that you can trust me. Uh, our offering tells God that you can trust me. So the first one was that we can trust Him, but we're telling God that, God, you can trust me. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible, Luke chapter 16, 10 to 11. It says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? That's one of those verses you kind of read over and say, I won't think about that one too much. I'll just keep on reading. Um, but did you notice the widow woman gave very little, just two cents? But the truth is, we would, have, we would have thought of this woman, whether she had given little or a lot compared to the worldly view, I think she would have given the lot anyway because of her hard attitude. And apparently... As Jesus, these are Jesus' words in Luke 16. If you can trust with little, you'll be trusted with much. Apparently, according to Jesus, how you and I use our material resources is an actual testing ground that reveals to God how trustworthy we are. So Jesus makes a pretty profound point here, doesn't he? Uh, how are we going to use our finances? God watches. 
God watches. He stands at the offering box. If you didn't know, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, standing at the offering box back there and the FPOS machine. And when you're on your computer about to give through online, he's watching how much you give. Why is he watching? Do you think he's going to hit you over the head if you don't give it up? No, he's very gracious, very understanding. But he just knows that he, he longs for your complete commitment and response to him. And it's often reflected not just in our prayer and our obedience, but our also our giving. There's a pastor in America, Rick Warren. He's a Southern Baptist pastor of Saddleback Church, Church in America. Actually, he's just retired. And you may remember him. He wrote a book called um, The Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life. And The Purpose Driven Life was a, a book um, that we, um, we actually used it in our church uh, some time ago. And it was a, a great book in it. it, in it. And I listened to a podcast of Pastor Rick Warren and literally heard him testify of this stuff I'm sharing with you. But the book um, sold nearly 100 million copies, 30 million in America and about nearly 70 million around the world. The book was translated into 127 countries. It went off the charts. It was the Guinness Book of Records um, writes about it and says it's one of the best-selling books in the world of all time. Okay, so it's done pretty good. Would you agree? Um, Rick Warren, quote, says, when you sell nearly 100 million books, it brings in tens of millions of dollars. He knew, and this is what he said, he knew he was placing himself in the spotlight, so he decided that he needed to be beyond reproach when it came to money because he would, he would now be scrutinized more heavily than ever before. So he and his wife decided they would stop taking a wage from the church, Saddleback Church. Not only that, for the last 25 years, the church had paid him and he added up all that the church had paid him and he paid it back in full. So now he's been working for his church for 35 years, literally for free. Time magazine wanted to do an article on him, put him on the, on the front page of their, you know, Time magazine, um, the big, big print. And so a reporter came along, a journalist came along and asked him the first question. Hey, Mr. Pastor Rick Warren. So, you've made a lot of money. How much money does your church pay you? And then he said to them, I've worked for the church for free for 35 years. And he says in his podcast, right then, I had this bit of pride that I had to repent from before, but it's okay. I just had this moment. I said, I got you. You were trying to get me. I got you. And so, uh, he talks about then, as he still... He says him and his wife did want it to change them, this flow of income. So they still live in the same house they've lived in for 25 years. They drive, he drives a 13-year-old car. His wedding ring was still looking good, so it cost me 99 bucks when I got married. So why did I want to change it? He didn't. He still wears it, which is good. Uh, and so all these things happen. And each year, he says, we've increased our tithes and offerings. And that happened well before I ever received millions of dollars through the book sales. And then he says, he asks the question, why did God trust me with so much? Well, he says, because before I had much, I was trustworthy with little. And I was faithful to give so that the money didn't become my focus. He always was my focus, Jesus. Fairly compelling truth, isn't it? Fairly compelling truth. You know, when I, um, I as personal testimony... I hesitate to share it, but just very quickly, when I, I was a mechanical technology officer in the power station, worked for the Queen's Electricity Commission, and um, 
and uh, the church called me and we were to come and work here. And so in the same year that I um, gave up my job over there and came and worked here uh, for the Lord, not that I wasn't working for him before, but just now that they wanted to pay me. And then my wife, who was a dental therapist for the schools, gave up her job because she was pregnant. We had our first child in the same year. So three things happened. We both left our jobs. We had a child, 1991 it was. And so our wage went from fairly significant wage to less than half of what we were getting before. Now, I want you to understand that. I wasn't hassled. We thought it was a real privilege, and we still do, to come and serve the Lord. And we didn't hassle, but the money was not an issue for us. One of the reasons that the hassle of the money wasn't an issue is because I bought a house at 20. I paid it off at 28 because it only cost me $36,000. It wasn't much of a house, but it was home. And so I'd already paid it off by the time I came here, and I had no mortgage. And that was helpful. Uh, so God had set it up that it went before us. And, you know, I'm no model of perfection by a long way in regards to giving, but I just want to encourage us because if there's a testimony that come out of my life, I've just been faithful in our giving. And there's never been a year when we've, we've had not had our needs met. There's been some wants that have not been met. I would have liked some other things, but they were wants. They never, sometimes they weren't met, but my needs were always met. And I've seen God pour back into our laps money and we just keep on pouring it back out. And we were just faithful when we had nothing. And he taught us to continually be faithful when we got more. And just God, when he looks at our giving, he just says, can, you know, we're saying to God, when we give, we're saying, you can trust us, God, and I can trust you. I can trust you, God, and you can trust us. Our offering tells God we are trustworthy. Our offering tells God as the team come this morning, we trust him. Our offering tells God that we've surrendered our lives to him. And it's not the only way that we can tell God we've surrendered, but it's just a trusting. Now, you know, the wonderful thing about God is for me, when I first started out giving, I was pretty stingy, to be honest, because I got my first wage as an 18-year-old. It was $91. I mean, that was a lot of money, $91. It was, it was, it was a funny day because... They used to give it in pay packets. Who remembers ever getting wage in literal dollars? When it was paper money. And the first day, we, there was a whole bunch of apprentices, 90 apprentices there were throughout Queensland, working for the Queensland. And we all got this pay packet, and some ripped the top off and just ripped clean across all the notes. <laughs> and the rest of it just, ha, ha, ha. Thankfully, you could stick it back together and it'd still be legal tender, but oh, I was funny. Anyway, I thought we all thought we were millionaires, 91 bucks. And I was so thankful for that. And, you know, to be honest, I probably didn't, you know, um, uh, uh, my tithing was probably zero. And so there was a process of God teaching me how to be a giver, to stop my stinginess. And so now we get a little few years down the track and it's an easy, e- much easier for me. So I'm not trying to say you're going to be like this. I'm just saying, you know, just present yourself to God. It's amazing how we can be your continual provider and he can grow your faith step by step. God is so gracious. He grows us, doesn't he? Step by step, believing, trusting him. Do you know Rick Warren gives 90% of his income to the things of God and only keeps 10% for himself? I haven't quite got to that stage yet. Because <laughs> he, he just, he can't dare to think that he would not put Jesus first in his life. Great testimony. You've got to read it. I think it's on YouTube somewhere, but I got it through a podcast. 
Can we just stand today as we just close this service? And we're just going for a moment, this beautiful song. This is a fairly new song, Kate, isn't it? Is this a new one today? Oh, okay. And it's just, it's very simple, but it declares something very profound of how good our God is. Thanks, team.